welcome to Offshore with Scott Dodgson. People come to sailing, and I mean sailing in a general way. Um, Sailboats, powerboats, skiffs, canoes, whatever. But they come to sailing in a general way just to be on the water. And there's a lot of different reasons why people do it. There's a sort of adventure idea. There is the obvious working for a living kind of idea, whether you go to a a marine academy, um, if you're in the Navy, if you spend some time um, on tugboats or commercial vessels, if you're a commercial fisherman, all of these things are reasons to be on the water. But probably the foremost reason for cruisers and travelers and the general population of sailboaters and powerboaters is the escape from reality. A reality that consists of work, bills, responsibilities to family, to friends, um, you know, having to be here, time constraints, etc., etc., etc. We all know what that is. And I have talked to a whole lot of people who, over the years, after a few sundowners, have bared their souls to tell me exactly why they're sitting on a boat on some small island in the Caribbean or the Mediterranean or the South Pacific. And it sort of all comes into being one thing. It's an escape from reality um, that isn't understood so much. It's a nostalgia um, for friends and for voyages that never end, for being in a place in which you, your soul has this kind of independence. Now, one of those senses that you get when the when your soul is sort of out there, you're a part of the ocean, and you're sailing, the sails are full, they're trimmed, you're going along really well, you have a long distance to go, is the whole idea that all the people that are with you are decent people, or you're going to a decent place, you're going to meet decent people. And I'm kind of leading up to this concept of Mediterraneo. Mediterraneo, for people who don't know, is a general category of people that live around the Mediterranean or in the Mediterranean. There's a certain savoir-faire, a certain way about them. Pretty much you can tell that they are Mediterranean. Um, And it doesn't matter whether they're from uh, France or Spain or Italy, um, Turkey, um, Egypt, um, Tunisia, Libya, Morocco, Algeria. All these places are all surround the Mediterranean. And there's a certain kind of attitude, a certain style that comes with this. And I'm pointing to the famous film, Mediterranean, which was uh, uh, one of best uh, foreign language film in 1991. It is a very popular film for the concept of 
what they call Italiani brava gente, which Italians are decent people. Now, I'm kind of getting, don't want to get you confused. It's an Italian movie that takes place on a Greek island. And this Greek island is what I'm going to talk about today, called Castellarezzo. Easy to miss, uh, and it's easy to assume it's a part of Turkey. It's only a couple of kilometers from Turkey, about a mile away. And there's sort of a largish, um, undefined, so to speak, harbor um, that the island sits in the middle of. And it's a Greek island. And it trades almost regularly with Turkey across the way. The boats go back and forth. The ferries go back and forth. And it's a kind of a, an interesting um, detente that they have between the Turks and the Greeks. And I've, I've said this before, and I'll continue to say, the Turks and the Greeks are sort of like, you know, brothers that argue all the time. Um, a lot of the food is the same. Some of the traditions are the same. Religions are different, of course, but, you know, it, it, the character of the people is pretty much the same. And I know I'll take a lot of heat for that comment, but you don't have to be there long to kind of put two and two together to figure that out. So this little island, Castellarezzo, it's really about halfway between Rhodes, Greece, and Anatolia, Turkey. And it is a very, very small island. Well, they shot a movie there, the Oscar-winning movie, Mediterraneo. And this movie um, won an Academy Award. It proposed... It's an interesting film. It's a funny film, but it was shot on this little tiny island. So for me, it was kind of a bucket list island. I wanted to go see this. Um, at the time, it wasn't very populated. Maybe a thousand people were on the island. It had it was populated up to about thirty thousand before the war. Um, it primarily was a fishing port, and the war. I'm referring to World War Two. The place was absolutely bombed to smithereens. They have some pictures that are in uh, Billy's Restaurant in Castellarezzo, which I highly recommend. Um, great food, fantastic atmosphere, and, um, of course, a brilliant ouzo. But the point is, is that this island was just bombed. Um, some of the pictures show how the every single building was essentially destroyed. It was bombed by the Italians. It was bombed by the Germans. It was bombed by the British. And it was bombed by the Americans. And it's not that big. It is not that big. But it is a place where there's a lot of transient traffic coming from the Middle East and going up to Rhodes, which was a cornerstone, a, a crossroads, a carrefour, as they say in French, um, for culture, for ideas, for trading, and it was a very, very interesting place. They also have the beautiful um, uh, caves there, um, which you could go in and, and canoe in, and everything is, it's a really beautiful little island. It's all built up now a little bit, um, humbly so, but one of the most important things about the island is, is this attitude of this Mediterranean attitude that we're all decent people, we're all likable, and it's the Italians that sort of bring this up, and it's this movie 
um, that sort of promoted this false narrative. Now, it's not false narrative to, to the way people are looking at it today. It was a false narrative to say that all Italian soldiers, 1941, um, who were a part of fascist Italy, um, were really misfits, and they really, you know, they were kind of lost, and, you know, they, they just wanted to live their lives. They weren't very good soldiers, and and they were very independent, and, and they were very happy, and, you know, one, fa- one face, one race occurs throughout the film. Um, this is about the Mediterraneans, and so this is this whole concept of the soldiers being inept, um, you know, being innocent, um, not participating in the war because it's a war they don't really want to be in. Well, this is a false narrative. It's a false narrative because the the fascist party of Italy uh, with Mussolini was equally, um, maybe not as bad as the, the, the Germans and the SS, um, but the Ethiopian campaigns was horrible. Um, there were a lot of war crimes. Um, there was this pressure in the 70s, 80s, um, and then eventually with this film in 1991 to cast the Italian in this light of being a decent person and not facing what they did during World War II. Now, this is important to remember is that the Italians were sort of doing this, but the the director, Gabriella Salvatores, was getting across a point about the decency of the people in the Mediterranean and making a funny film. Okay, he was... He was making a film that that a lot of people drew um, a lot of comments, a lot of ideas from, and it was a film that looked back at life and the life on a little small island like this, life that absorbed them. Um, and this is where we get into the cruising aspect of it. Because there's a sense when you get to a small island like Castellarezzo that you're absorbed into the life of the island and, and the heat and the landscape. It just, it just envelops you. It takes your soul and it surrounds the soul in this kind of kindness. I think if any of you saw Captain Corelli's Mandolin, it's another film that's on this sort of popular culture myth debate of the collective responsibility of guilt, denial, repentance, pardon, all these things that um, historians have challenged the whole uh, narrative that the Italians have created or myth that that the Italians have created. And it's kind of this victim theory, the clean Wehrmacht. There's lots of things. So if you're a historian, this... This is a very complex. Uh, it's a very complex film in terms of how it sits in its historical perspective. But as a cruiser, as someone who is sailing to this island, it is absolutely fascinating. So it's a very easy port to get into. Um, you just come down the coast. 
um, always make sure you have your courtesy flag for where you're checked into. If you've uh, checked into Turkey, you're going to have to clear out of Turkey and clear back into Greece, and you can do it. The office is right on the quay. And, you know, when we look at the movie Mediterranean, you see some of the characters that are in the movie, they're kind of kind of goofy and innocent and naive and whatever the case may be. And I would say that the Greeks that are sitting there are almost fatalistic because if a war was ever to break out between Turkey and Greece, the Turks would just destroy these poor poor people. So they're kind of like, yeah, okay, let's just do what we do and be nice to everybody and all the rest. Very pleasant people, very nice. Um, Very interesting restrictions um, in terms of being able to swim and dive, there's areas you're not allowed to go to because there's a lot of antiquities at the bottom. And this is a part of the story that is also kind of interesting because when you go to Greece and you have dive tanks, and I ran dive charters for many years, and you have dive tanks, and, and all the equipment, they actually don't want you to use them in Greece unless you're with a certified diver slash archaeologist protector of uh, antiquities because there's a lot of stuff underwater um, that's ancient. So coming into the harbor, there's, there's this little tiny island, little just a rock, basically. But next to that rock is a dumping ground for Amphals. This is uh, the Egyptians and the Greeks used to take these big clay pots that had a sort of pointed end on one side and an open end on the other side with two handles on it. And they were shaped sort of um, as a, uh, they were shaped on an angle. So they're fat on the top and thin on the bottom so that they could line them up, fit them in um, along the hull of of the ship that they were transporting these in. They were often filled with things like wine or grain, um, you know, food items and stuff. And then they, they would take um, muslin cloth, okay, and drape it over the top of it and then pour wax on it, and that would be the seal. And it was a very efficient seal. And that's how they would transport this stuff in galleys and and whatever sort of ships that they were using at the time, to- at any time in history for a long period of time, they used this container as a way to move things around. So there's a whole dumping site there. Now, I got this information from a friend of mine, a French friend of mine, who accidentally found this. He was uh, anchored out near this rock, which you can anchor out there. There's a little anchorage. Um, uh, just inside the rock that you could put so you don't have to be on the quay um, in the little town of Castellarezo. So, which I, I actually quite like being on the quay, and I'll get to that. And, and so he was anchoring out there, and he went for a morning swim, and he, he dove down. It's fairly deep water, 30, 40 feet. And he caught a glimpse of something. And being the kind of person that my friend Alain, the Frenchman, is he came up, grabbed his tank without anybody seeing it first thing in the morning and and 
dropped under the water and found this mountain underneath the water of all these broken amphals. So he brought up the top, a broken top of this amphal. And I'll, I'll post a picture of it. Uh, not of that one, but of what I'm talking about. And he, he brought it up, and this was just like super fascinating. So he, he got a couple of more, put them on the boat. Now, this is like completely illegal. All right, taking, this is antiquity stuff, but basically it's also garbage. So, but you're not allowed to touch this stuff. It's got to stay there, whatever the case may be. And this is what the authorities believe that should happen. So there's this, this pull of this fantastic thing that you could find in the water that you shouldn't take, but you do. And, and he told me about this whole thing. And that sort of even made the whole idea of going to see where they shot the movie, which I loved, okay? And maybe picking up a piece of antiquity that, you know, that was authentic, that wasn't in somebody's, you know, gift shop that had been made in Taiwan or whatever the case may be. And so this is what happened. We go into the port. We go onto the dock tie the boat up, um, stern to Mediterranean morning. It's always good to leave out, start with as much anchor as you possibly can. Um, because it's a kind, you have to drag up hill. It's deep. Then you drag uphill as you get closer to the quay. And, and this is, this will secure you tie off, make a restaurant reservation at Billy's because Billy's is right on the quay. And, I mean, Billy serves just brilliant, simple, clean food. Calamari, you know, different kinds of cutlets of meat, um, grilled lamb, uh, grilled octopus, uh, fried fish. um, Grilled swordfish is really some of their best. Grape leaves. You know, every kind of Greek thing that you can imagine, French fries, salad, the whole, sh- some shrimps. Um, and, and, and of course, don't forget the ouzo. And it, if you're on the quay, there's this beautiful, he puts out these beautiful tables. You, you could sit there. And especially in the evening, on a summer evening, in the, you know, 9, 10 o'clock, big table, cheap red wine, ouzo. The air is very soft. It's very warm. And there's all sorts of cats around. And they they beg for your food um, next to your chair. And these cats are protected. Okay, so these cats... After Castle Lorezo was um, bombed so much, there was a huge rat problem. And I mentioned this in Semi as well, that after World War II, there were a lot of rats. And there was a big problem. And the Egyptian government um, had ships that were filled with Egyptian cats. And they dropped them off at each of the islands. And the cats went and hunted the uh, rats. And the rats don't exist. But the cats are sort of these, um, they're VIP cats. Um, Nobody really takes care of them, so to speak. Um, It's sort of a community concept with the cats. So... This is a big part of... They even mention it in the, in the movie about the cats. So it's a kind of an interesting concept. 
that uh, the cats on the island are very, very important to keep, or they've basically extinguished the rat population. If God help a rat if it shows up there. But so you sit on this beautiful quay, soft, beautiful, warm summer air, sipping some red wine, drinking a little bit of ouzo, eating great swordfish, french fries, salad, dropping a couple of little morsels to a cat here and there. It's really kind of a perfect, like, heaven for me. Um, and it's idyllic. And it makes everything better. But I, at that time, was really... I really wanted to get one of these amphals. I really wanted to go and take a look. So the next day after this beautiful meal and getting the whole story on how the movie came, how it was directed, looking at pictures of, of how the city, the little town was bombarded so many times by the Germans and the Italians and Americans and the British and we went out to this little rock we anchored the boat and that night the next night I dove and I found the mountain of amphals and I brought up about six, six of them seven of them and um, they, some of them were quite big like about 25 30 inches um, wide, you know, some of the broken, they're all broken. So there's no full amphals whatsoever. And so I brought a few up and I, you know, tucked them away in my bilge and, 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 you know, they, they're very fragile. Um, and especially they're fragile when they dry because they've been underwater for a thousand years, I guess. And so this, I, I did this and it was honestly it's it's illegal to do it and and but that's my story and I just wanted to have these things and I had this real desire for this and this whole idea of having this crazy desire for a piece of pottery is nuts and this idea sort of haunted me I felt guilty about it the next day, we kind of went back to the, to the um, quay and put the boat on the quay, and I went for a walk to think about this. And I went for a walk. It was, it was in the evening, and Castle Rezo has a, a little small airport. Um, it's built up a little bit more now, but um, at that time, the, you know, just little single-engine, twin-engine, maybe a tw- twin-engine, uh, airplanes could land, no jets. It was it was very short, um, and it hadn't been fully developed. But I was walking, and I walked over the crest of this hill, and I'm I'm walking into the the next little bay, and I'm really thinking about, oh man, I kind of screwed up. Why don't I just? I'm feeling guilty about taking these amphals. Why don't I just drop them back into the sea? And I was just, you know, wondering about who I am as far as this whole sailing and and merely being moved by the the movie, which moved me a lot, and being moved by the actual history of this place, and the whole concept of becoming or or living in the Mediterranean uh, method method and 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 way of life. 
And I was just sort of bumbling along, and I see this big fishing boat down on this little tiny dock. And this is a serious uh, longliner fishing boat. So I'm looking at it, and it's got a big-ass American flag. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is you don't see a lot of Americans in certain parts of the Mediterranean. Um, they just there's one or two maybe, but for the most part, you don't see a lot of Americans. And seeing at the time, being on Castle Rezo, this little um, out-of-the-way island um, in the Dodecanese, in the, in, the, in the Mediterranean, off the coast of Turkey, here's this American long-line tuna, blue tuna, bluefin tuna fishing boat. And they were offloading these giant tuna. And these tuna were just, I'm talking, these tuna must have been four, five, six hundred pounds. And they were loading them into a truck. They literally, as I'm standing up on the ridge looking down into the boat, there are people with guns guarding the tuna. Now, if you know anything about sushi, you know that bluefin tuna is is highly praised, prized, and it is the thing to get. I mean, a, a big tuna, fresh tuna, you it, it's eight hundred thousand dollars, seven hundred thousand dollars. So these guys unloaded this into the truck, and literally from my position, and I wasn't like spying or anything. I was just standing there. There were some other people too from the island, some locals that were standing there and they were going, you know, they were saying, oh my God, that's a good, that's this, that's this. Well, they, the truck went over to the airport and from what I understand, they loaded into um, an airplane. They fly it off the island and they f then they offload that into a jet and then they fly it to Japan. And literally, that fish will be in um, the markets um, within about 24 to 36 hours. That's about as fresh as you can get a four or 500 pound bluefin tuna from the Mediterranean to Japan. So let me, let me just sort of outline where I've come from and where I'm going. We have this movie, Mediterranean. That talks about um, the Italian gentle niceness of the Italian people, but really refers to all the people of the Mediterranean and their innocence and kindness and their decency. Then I come in as the ugly American and absorb myself into this island, enjoy the food, and practice being a tourist and enjoy being a part of this uh, emotional moment, the softness, this actually feeling this decency, this overwhelming sense of, you know, pleasure of, of great food and great drink and, and creativity that happened here and the rebuilding and being aware of how the history sort of weighs on the people that live on this island and the Greek people in general, the Turks, there's this sense of history that's on people's back. You can't escape it, okay? 
and they don't want to escape it. They, they, they want to modify it. Okay. They want to cast it in a different way. And then I come and I take part of their history, which I shouldn't have done, but I did. And while I'm feeling guilty about this history and while I'm feeling guilty about my actions at the point, I see another American taking something from the sea that's far more valuable than these little clay pots that I have, broken clay pots. So this is the edges. This is the, the various narratives that when you're cruising and you come to a little tiny island like Castellarezo, you find that the narrative of these islands is very, very complex. And that it's just not you escaping from reality. It's you escaping into a reality that can neither be understood in its fullness or you can't accept it. But you do have a sense of the nostalgia of the place. You do have a sense of what the, the voyage, the voyage of this island is all about. And so Italian, Italiani, brava gente. This is the most important concept. It doesn't exist, but it's been developed into a myth and that it is a myth that supports the way the Mediterranean people want to be seen. It's about being absorbed into this life. It's about the heat of the island. It's about the softness of the air. And it's about the landscape of something that exists but doesn't exist at the same time. And it is this contrast between what the reality is and what the Greek people had to put up with, what the Italian soldiers had to put up with, what the Germans put up with, what all these people did at that period of time, 80 years later, is part of the fabric of this island. And it's a really important thing to understand. I hope everybody gets to go there. Um, it was very interesting for me. I was there several times. And I just, I always have this feeling of sitting in the restaurant and, you know, on the table and sitting on the quay and just sitting there drinking and, and laughing and being with friends and all the rest of this stuff and really being a part of the Mediterraneo uh, being, so to speak, and finally understanding. So my point is, my point is, is that Castle Rezo casts a very complex story, and I would urge anybody that's going to any of these islands, Castle Rezo or Simi or Rhodes or anything, understand how. You're just, you're becoming a part of the Mediterranean if you allow yourself. You're enjoying all the good parts of it, but there's bad parts of this story as well. And it's really important to understand what's, what is myth, what is reality. Um, if there's a long-line tuna guy who's, who's exporting literally illegally 
and and some crazy captain taking a couple of uh, clay pots for his own um, collection. It's part of this weird uh, feeling. Now, I will say about the clay pots, the Amphals, I actually ended up giving them away. Um, there's another story about having being stopped by the Coast Guard and them finding them and making a big deal about it because they weren't drugs. Um, but any case, that's, that's another one that I'll get to. And But this case was I ended up giving them away, and, and I gave it away to a friend of mine who later called me and says, hey, you sure you want to give this away to me? Because an appraiser said that this little piece of original pottery was... Um, had been mounted and uh, preserved and it was worth like 500 bucks and he's like you sure you want to give this and i said yeah sure and i just i gave it away i put it back in the world you know just took it from the water and put it in the world and hopefully somewhere along the line it'll be more positive than what my actions were because i do regret actually taking that um and that's sort of how I feel. And I, I'm not really a big bluefin tuna sushi guy. I just think that it's it's unfortunate in a way because they're, they're fantastic fish. But Castle Loreza is one of those really weird islands that has a lot of different things. And Castle Loreza is a, a, a very um, interesting place, great history, great fun. Um, and I would uh, implore you, if you're cruising in the Dodecanese, especially this summer, to um, take a trip down there. And uh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you again for listening. Uh, find more great episodes on offshoreexplore.org, our new website. Um, please like and share. We greatly appreciate it. Like to have some feedback as well. So uh, if you want to leave us a message, we'd be happy to uh, answer it. And any kind of questions you have about the things that I've brought up uh, over the past, please feel free to ask about them. Appreciate it. Thanks. Good sailing. <laughs> <laughs>